Welcome, everyone. My name is James Latwell. I'm your guest host today here on Authors on the Air Radio Network. And it's my absolute pleasure to sit with uh, Baron Bircher. Baron's a friend, but he's one hell of an author, too. So it's double pleasure for me. Welcome, Baron. Thanks very much for having me, Jim. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. Yeah. What you don't know behind the scenes is we've been struggling to make this connection work. So it, it's finally here and it's working and, and we're thrilled. Uh, for those of you who don't know Baron, Baron's the winner of the Silver Falchion Award, winner of the Killer Nashville Reader's Choice Award, he's, and the Best Book of the Year Award for Fistful of Rain. He's also been nominated for the Nero Award, the Lefty, the Forward Indy, the Claymore, and the Pacific Northwest Spotted Owl Awards. Baron's writing has been hailed as the real deal by Publishers Weekly, fast-paced and engaging by Booklist, and solid, fluent, and thrilling by Kirkus. Best-selling author Don Winslow has said, you want to read Barron's books, and then you want to live in them. New York Times bestseller Reed Farrell Coleman says, Bircher is part poet, part philosopher, and a consummate writer, and you need to read his books. And I have to agree with, with Reed here. Your books are, are, are fantastic, and I really enjoy them. So welcome. That is high praise indeed, coming from a uh, Lefty Award nominee such as yourself. <laughs> Thank you, Thank and you. congratulations to you. Yeah, thank you very much. That was uh, a nice surprise to get in the in the mail yesterday. But we're, we're here today to talk about Baron Bircher's The Reckoning. And this is the third book in the in the series, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. Yeah. Now, it it features Ty Dawson, who's a sheriff in a, a very rural in, enclave in in southern Oregon. And it it's really a, a fascinating story in the series. I, I love it. Tell us a little bit about uh, Ty Dawson. Uh, Ty Dawson is really kind of a uh, uh, analog, I guess you would say, for me, that I use as an excuse to sort of uh, uh, mine my own personal history. I grew up in the 1970s, where this uh, the time frame during which the Ty Dawson series is set. And it was a uh, period, as we all know, that was uh, full of a lot of change political, social, and otherwise, Vietnam War was raging. There was a lot going on. As a teenager, my blinders were on, and there was a lot I did not understand. I decided to revisit the 70s because uh, I have a fondness for them, uh, as well as uh, gave me an excuse to look at that time period through the eyes of an adult rather than through the eyes of a child. And uh, Ty Dawson was born and he's he's my 40 year old man in full who's trying to navigate where he comes from, his perspective as a, a product of the Eisenhower era and facing the changes that are uh, ascendant in the age of Aquarius. No, that's, that's very, very good. and. That kind of leads into a question I, I had planned to ask was, you know, you set this the series in this very unique time period. You, you see a lot of books written, you know, about the 60s and the 80s and, and, and forward, but the 70s just kind of get overlooked. And I mean, you and I lived in that in that era, uh, but it's really nice to see Ty, you know, kind of reopening my eyes to what was going on in the world then, because it was really kind of a tumultuous time. He's, he's reopened my eyes about a, a lot of things that were going on and a lot of uh, minor things that are sort of lost to history as, as history does. Uh, we focus on the, on the big items, 
but there were a lot of little things going on from day to day. And the, the fact that there were uh, lines that we would sit in for hours in order to get gasoline in our cars. To tell you the yeah. truth, I had kind of forgotten about that. Uh, it, and that went on for quite some time. It disrupted businesses. It disrupted a lot of different things. We didn't have Christmas lights for a couple of years because I don't really even remember why. But uh, there were a lot of little things that would crop up from time to time that, that have found their way into the narrative just as, as background. Yeah. And, and you, know, you know, I've talked about this before. Your series is kind of captured as a, as a blend of, of Yellowstone meets Longmire. And, and I think that sums it up really, really well. How, how did you come to that? And can you tell us a little bit about the story in Reckoning? Uh, it, it, uh, the idea of doing a uh, sort of a contemporary Western theme was different for me. My first series that I did was set in uh, largely in Hawaii, where I was living at the time. And uh, it's a hard-boiled PI series. I, I was raised uh, in a very rural Southern California community when there were such a thing. And where I lived, we were surrounded by cattle ranches and orange groves, and it was very agricultural. Um, so for me, it was kind of just revisiting my life uh, as I knew it growing up, which was also fun for me. So I got to revisit my history and the history of the world that was happening as I was a kid and uh, try to remember what it was like to saddle a horse and get out in the open and uh, go chase cows and do all of that kind of stuff, which are things that I did when I was a, a young man. Very, very cool. Um, one of the things I appreciate about reading your books, not only Reckoning, but the ones prior is your characters. You can read a character, you've just met him on the page, but yet it seems like you've known this person for forever. How, how do you develop the characters to make them that full? Uh, <laughs> because uh, it's, it's what I admire about your writing as well. Oh, thank you. Uh, you and I have had a conversation, have a couple of conversations about this, and we both drive our stories through people. And our books, whether they're crime thrillers or any other genre, are, are driven by characters. They're driven by people, and people have desires, and they have needs and wants and uh, personalities and histories of their own. And if we can imagine them as fully as we possibly can as authors, and try to imbue those people with those histories and uh, it, write them as naturally as we possibly can, then I don't think you can help but have them come alive. They, just, they do it on their own. Yeah, it, it's, it's one of the things I really appreciate when I read, read your work. It's, uh, it's, a, it's just a lot of fun. And, and I think reading and... Uh, and Don Winslow said it, you just kind of immerse yourself in the world that, that you've created for us. And it's, it's, it's a good place to be. Well, uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, one, one of the things that, that first attracted me to your writing was even aside from the characters, your prose has a very lyrical quality to it. Uh, it just kind of sucks you in. It's just kind of mesmerizing. I, and, 
I don't know how many people know about your musical background, but is there a relationship there between your your musicianship and and how you create prose? You know, I I think there must be. I don't really think about it, but uh, yes, uh, coming out of college, I spent a, a lot of years as a working musician. I was a guitar player and a songwriter and a singer and stuff like that. And then uh, moved kind of behind the board and became a producer and founded a, a small record label and stuff like that. Then I became an artist manager. So I, I played a lot of roles and dealt with a lot of artists, uh, musical artists over the years. And they, their approach to having a very small window of time in order to paint a picture and to do so with words and sounds uh, is an enviable skill. And I guess I admire it so much. I just try to do it myself. Does that make any sense at all? It, it does. And you do it really, really effectively. I mean, it, it really, you do, you, you paint a picture and it's, it's, it's fun to watch. Um, you have another book coming out very shortly. Don't you knife river? I do. Knife River, uh, book number four in the series, is coming out in late April. Uh, Very excited about that. That actually has a little bit of a a, a more of a music um, form uh, involvement, I should say. Uh, I try to imbue each of these storylines, each of the books, has a backbone that actually comes from history. It it comes from something that actually happened in, in uh, and Knife River is no different. Reckoning is no different. It it was actually drawn from some some troubles that were uh, uh, had raised themselves between ranchers and the BLM and the federal government uh, that really turned into kind of a difficult standoff. Uh, there were also some some police corruption problems in the '60s in uh, Portland, Oregon that were quite severe and ended up in congressional hearings and people going to jail and a lot of trouble that was a real cloud over uh, uh, Portland and Oregon in general. So those things found their way into the uh, uh, general narrative of reckoning. And uh, as I said, I I don't want to spoil it yet. Uh, The book's not out, but... uh, uh, Knife River is the same. It has a backbone of, of some reality. Yeah, uh, and I, I did get a, a sneak peek at Knife River, and it, I've got to say it, it it's a good one. People are going to really, really enjoy this one um, quite a bit. And one of the things I liked about that was some of the secondary characters. I think you even brought them even even further, like like Ty's daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. She features in in, in Knife River and. Uh, you've kind of seen her grow a little bit over the course of the of the series. It was kind of fun to see. How, how did you how did you plan that? You know, with with her arc in particular, and, and maybe some of the other secondary characters. Well, I, I wanted to give uh, youth a voice, the youth of the seventies, a voice mm-hmm. in this story because that that's who I was. So she kind of speaks for me. And, and my uh, friends and my siblings, uh, she, her concerns that she voices to her parents and the people around her are the things that were troubling us as teenagers and uh, uh, 
you know, people in our 20s and going to college and that sort of thing. And those people were the vanguard of much, if not all, of the social change that we, we saw emanate from the 70s and kind of never stopped. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I didn't, I didn't make the connection until you just said it, but yeah, it's that youthful look at what was going on at the time that, that we saw. Right. Uh, but yeah, you're exactly right. That's, that's, yeah, yes, yeah. you did, you did, you did well. <laughs> well, I, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, as I said before, Ty, as a, as a kind of a stand-in for, for my dad's generation, uh, he gets to speak from their perspective. And I found that interesting to, to write that perspective as well, because I'm, I'm a grandfather now and I understand the world differently than my grandsons do or than my children do. And it's the natural order of things. And, and to uh, plumb that is a really fun thing to do as an author. As you know, you, you, you get very character driven as well. So. It's fun to get in other people's heads and, and really try to see through their eyes. Yeah, it is. It's it's very rewarding for me, and I know it must be for you too. Definitely. Now, speaking still on the character theme here, what's other than Ty Dawson? What's been your favorite character to write? Um, he has a cranky uh, ranch manager that's been with him, uh, kind of raised young Ty as he was coming up as a cowboy. Uh, and he's a septuagenarian cowboy who's been a cowboy all of his life. And he is, uh, he makes me laugh. Uh, he's cranky, he's short-tempered. He's very, very good at what he does. He is one of the few people other than Ty's wife um, who also is able to do this. He has a skill of being able to tell Ty very directly what's on his mind and what he thinks Ty ought to be doing about this or that. And he, uh, he reminds me of my own grandfather because that's very much how my grandfather was. Uh, and I didn't, uh, I didn't find it amusing back then. And I find it much more amusing now. <laughs> much more amusing now. I love it. Well, as, as we finish up, um, there's a, there's a podcast that I like that, that does three quick shots at the end of their, their podcast. You might've heard of it. <laughs> yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. Um, we'll do three quick hits here All right. just to talk about just quick ideas, sketches about Ty and, and the series. So it's, um, we'll start off with what's Ty's favorite music. Uh, Ty is a is a pretty equal opportunity music guy, although he tends towards fifties bebop jazz. Uh, he's a big Miles Davis fan. Okay, okay. What's Ty's favorite cocktail or his drink? Oh, he's a uh, Jim Beam guy. Just straight over the rocks. He's, he's Jim Beam. Uh, he'll drink a beer as well. He's not averse to that, but uh, no, he's, he's Jim Beam. Very nice. What's uh, what's Ty's biggest fear? Wow. Uh, Ty's biggest fear is probably to fail the people that are counting on him. Yeah. I, I, I think that, that that's the thing that just gets him out of bed every day is to 
fulfill his obligations. I could see that. Yeah. yeah. I really good. admire him for that because I can't say that that's my overarching goal every single day of my life. It probably should yeah. be. It should. I, I think you're pretty, pretty darn close. <laughs> if, uh, if folks haven't had a chance to pick up any of Barron's books like, like Reckoning or any of the others, please, I, I urge you to do it. You're, you're going to enjoy the experience. And um, Baron, it's been a blast to have you here and just chat a little bit. It's always a pleasure to hang out with you. And uh, I will look forward to seeing you out there at uh, Left Coast Crime and VoucherCon right. and all the other places. We'll probably bump into one another. Yeah, it's uh, Baron's one of the people that when you when you see him at a conference and you know he's there, you know things are going to be okay. It's like he's... <laughs> Things are going to be Please just come fine. say hello because I, I love that. I love meeting people. Definitely come and say hello. And and for those who are going to Killer Nashville, it's it's well known that it, that Baron's table at the banquet is the good luck table. So you want to sit at that that table, and and then the night is yours. As Jim can attest. <laughs> and as many people can attest. <laughs> Baron, uh, thank you well, so I'm much. Looking forward to that, and thank you so much for inviting me. This has really been a treat. It's been a blast. You take care, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you.